Amen. Good morning. Welcome, church. If you are able or if you would like to, you can stand with us. We're going to sing and worship the Lord. Um, I always invite you to take a posture of worship, whatever that looks like for you. Maybe that's standing. Maybe that's seated. Maybe you want to kneel. Um, let's just open our hearts to the Lord this morning. I'll say a word of prayer. God, we're so grateful for the opportunity to gather in your presence. We ask that you would meet us here, that you would make your presence known to us, that you would help us to focus on you, to not be distracted. And God, we just ask that you would Help us to sing together in unity, to worship you, to lift you up as a family, as a community. God, we're just so grateful for your gift of salvation that you spilled your own blood to save us. So we ask you, Lord, to help us in our distractions, in our doubts. Help us to feel the gravity of your gift. Help us to really meditate on that this morning as we come, as we prepare our hearts later to take communion. Lord, help us to take it wholeheartedly. And help us to find our gratitude, to give that to you this morning, God. You are worthy of our song. Amen.
read this call to worship from Psalm chapter 95. So hear these words as the prayers of all God's people for thousands of years. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Amen. We have a reason to praise this morning. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love of Christ I stand 
I just felt like maybe there's people here that just feel like they can't stand physically I don't mean physically but you feel like you can't stand but it's because of the love of Christ that gives you the strength to stand it's you feel like life is too hard but because of the death of Christ we can live and we were bought with his precious blood so as we sing this last verse and we think about the price that Jesus paid that even those of us who feel like we are too weary we're too tired we don't have anything left to give we have been given everything so we don't have to bring anything we just have to receive the love of Christ this morning
nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadows. You win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. And almighty fortress, you go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. worship team for leading us so beautifully and powerfully and man I joked I made a joke earlier about you know the preaching passage for today and spiritual warfare and uh like I jokingly there were of course a number of things going wrong early and I was like yep that's about right spiritual warfare here we go and and um, I'm just going to tell you, like, with the prayerful preparation that went into that first worship set, like, I feel like that was spirit-led and enough to handle whatever it is we've been dealing with this morning, just those little things that go wrong. So, man, what a powerful reminder that even in the midst of things going wrong, falling apart, or feeling like you're just too weak and too tired and weary to stand, like, it's okay you don't have to because God is standing in that place for you and he's giving you the strength to stand and carry on. Thank you, Nikki, for just reminding us of that truth that we so, so many of us needed to hear this morning. And so I want us to remain in this attitude and this posture of worship and expectation and openness as we come before God, as we open up our hearts to receive his word for his people I want to invite you to bring your burdens, lay them before God, tell him what's on your heart, tell him, talk to him about what it is that that you feel like you're carrying that feels unbearable this morning, and be open to the ways that he wants to fill you and renew you and strengthen you and fill you with his perfect peace so that you can carry on even when the road gets tough. Would you join me in prayer this morning? God, I just feel so compelled to praise your holy name. 
There are so many things in, to, to feel joyful about and to feel thankful for this morning, even in the midst of, of little hiccups, even in the midst of, of things going wrong and not according to plan and it feeling frustrating and discouraging and overwhelming. God, I just want to take a moment to give you the praise that you are due because you are here and you are moving even in the midst of, of what we have brought into this place and, and all that is maybe happening while we're here. God, you are so much bigger and greater than all of these things and nothing can keep us or separate us from, from being in your presence, God. Thank you, God, for, for meeting us here as we come to worship you as we come to sing your praises, as we come to be strengthened through fellowship and community. God, we thank you for your faithfulness that you are always here. You're always in our midst. God, I thank you for the gift of, of strength and healing. And we are thankful that we are seeing our friend Larry back with us today, God. That is a beautiful gift, and our hearts are overjoyed. God, we thank you for the ways that you have been with him, helping him, strengthening him. And it's been a long, difficult road for him. But God, we are thankful that we get to see him today, that he is able to be here with his church family God, we thank you for the joy that Larry brings, and, and I'm just so grateful. I'm grateful for his presence here today, and I thank you, God, that Marcella is here, that you have been with her. She has also been fighting this incredibly frustrating battle with her health and with things going wrong, and God, it's been overwhelming. It's been tiring. I know that, that she is feeling weak and weary, but God, I am so grateful to see her. And it's a reminder, God, that you are, are there, that you are always strengthening us. And we just thank you for your faithfulness. And God, I remember and think of those today who are still in the midst of the, the most difficult of moments. God, for those who are still waiting for that strength or waiting for that healing to come in whatever way they may be waiting, God, it's a reminder today we are declaring that you are a faithful God. We can trust in you because you are good and you are faithful and you never stop fighting for us, God. And we are so grateful. God, we just take a moment to soak up, to rest in your perfect presence. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would continue to fill this place. Would you continue to draw near to us as we draw near to you. As we open up your word, as we continue to worship together, Holy Spirit, would you come? 
Would you fill? Would you bind us together today? Holy Spirit, I pray that you would open our hearts. I pray that you would give me the the right words. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would go before all that has been prepared, and I pray that we would hear from you. Jesus, we thank you for all that you've done for us. Lord, we are so unworthy and overwhelmed by your love for us. Jesus, we praise your name. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. We know that in the midst of all these battles that we fight, in the midst of all of of what the enemy tries to do, we know that you have already conquered. You have already won. And you are fighting for us even now. And so, Jesus, we praise your name for being worthy and holy. And as you seek to fill us with more of your strength and truth and righteousness. And so we pray all of this, grateful and in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Well, um, it's November, so there's that. I feel like October lasted a whole three seconds, and now it's November. And um, last year, I started um, something that I want to continue doing each year, and I like to do it in November because uh, a couple of reasons. I mean, it's the, the month of where we focus on thankfulness, uh, on gratitude, and so I think that's fitting, but it also feels fitting on the heels of October, which is Pastor Appreciation Month, and everyone is always so generous and so kind, and it overwhelms me in the best way. But I, I want to take the, the time during November to reiterate like how grateful I am for you guys and, and for a few people in particular that have just uh, really been a blessing to me over the past year. And so uh, each week in November, I'm just going to take a moment to recognize uh, this month one person each week and just express my gratitude and allow you all to express your gratitude because I know that that you're right there with me. And so um, we're going to start off this week. I'm going to ask, this is kind of a two-for-one deal. Um, I'm going to ask, and you don't both have to come, but Craig and Carla, or if Carla, if you're just, you know, like, no, no, it's fine, then Craig, you can come. But I'm going to ask you two to come, or at least one of you to come. Uh, And we're going to come stand right down here just for a moment. you know, when we started the garden over a year ago, you guys just join me right here. Don't be mad at me. I feel like I always just put people on the spot and I know they don't like it, but um, I can't even begin to describe how thankful I am for the vision that Craig and Carla by default has for the community garden. 
um, and the heart and soul that they've already poured into it. And we're just getting started. Um, And I anticipate such amazing things to come through this garden. And I am so grateful that that week that I just kind of took the plunge and said, hey guys, I have this idea that we should start a community garden. It's not my idea, it's the boards and leadership and we feel like God is calling us to do this, but we kind of need someone to be in charge of it and oversee it. And would any of you be interested in that? And I just remember from the moment I received a text from you guys, just feeling like, oh my goodness, this is so exciting. And I just sense that the Lord is, is bringing the perfect people into this role to lead us in this community garden. And so I just want to take a moment to say thank you because, and you all may not know this, but There have been challenges, unexpected challenges with any new endeavor, especially in ministry. There's just things that you don't expect, things that you just don't think about until you're in that moment. And that has happened on a number of occasions. And these two handle it with grace and with immense patience and and just kindness and thoughtfulness. And just the work that Craig puts into the planning and preparing and the dreams that he's dreaming for this garden make me so excited. It makes me so excited about what God is doing here And through our community garden, we have so many amazing opportunities that are possibly coming up through our garden that we are praying about, that we're asking God to take control of. And we couldn't, we couldn't do it without you guys, truly. Like we couldn't. And I'm, I want you to hear that and know how thankful I am for you. And I want the congregation to express their gratefulness because I know they feel that too. So would you join me? This is for you guys. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you guys yeah, both. I must, I must say, though, sure. that it's everybody out here, though, that is contributing yeah. toward yeah. it. I mean, these two hands certainly can't do everything that sure. we do. So thank yeah. you to all of yeah. you for your help, the hands, the, the contributions. Yeah. And we greatly appreciate all the help. Just yesterday, yeah. we had yeah. a lot of hands out there. Certainly we can't, right. you know. Yeah load all that dirt into those boxes. So thank you very much. We do appreciate it. Yeah, thank you guys. You're our fearless leaders, so we we are so grateful for you. Thank you guys. Uh, And also, let's just tack on there too that every first Sunday of the month, they take time out of their morning to go and grab us those Krispy Kreme donuts. Some of you don't know about those because you don't get here early enough and they're gone. But every week we have Krispy Kreme donuts, or every week, every month, Uh, First Sunday of the month, thanks to Craig and Carla going out of their way to get those. And there's so much that so many people do behind the scenes. But, you know, this is just a little highlight of of what you guys do and um, and the way that you lead the volunteers that who did you know show up yesterday and I know that was such a wonderfully productive day so thank you um, again so we'll do another one next week and just so grateful for those who serve here at BFCM uh, at this time I'm going to invite you to stand we're going to transition to our sermon, our final sermon in the book of Ephesians. We are approaching the last and, and uh, this final word from the Apostle Paul to the Ephesian church to us today. And so we're going to read starting with chapter 6, verse 10, reading through verse 20. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. There's that mystery again, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Are you thankful? Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I think it's important to recognize, I'm not really going to touch on this again because there's so much here, but I think it's important to keep in mind that, that with all that Paul is saying, like he is saying all of this while in chains, right? Like he's talking about the spiritual battle and like how we ought to be ready and confident and all the while he is in chains of some kind, right? He is in uh, some kind of... of uh, distress or, or just held against uh, any kind of freedom. And, and that is the context of what we're talking about today. So I just think that's helpful, like perspective, right? It's a helpful perspective. I don't know about you. I wonder if I'm alone in this or not. I suspect that there are more of you, but spiritual warfare has always been a little difficult for me to grasp, to really understand uh, and, and I think that on some level, I, that would probably be true for everyone. But I also think depending on what you grow up hearing and, and how you see people acting, Christians particularly, acting around you, then like that tells you something about uh, the power of evil or the enemy in this case uh, versus the power of God. And so for me growing up, I have wrestled with this and, and I've kind of changed uh, how I view spiritual warfare. And let me give you an example. So when I was younger and as I was growing up, I thought that the enemy possibly had more power than God because at times that's how the people around me acted and communicated. It was like we had to be so careful about everything we said or put out there because the enemy, you know, and, and it just gave me this impression, even though it may not have been intended, it gave me this impression that, wow, he is really powerful. And if we're not careful, he might be more powerful than God. I mean, I'm a kid, right? And that's just the impression that I had for quite a long time, honestly. And then I think that on the other end of that extreme, you have those who just struggle to uh, accept or believe that that there is an enemy, that there is a devil, and we have all kinds of like misguided interpretations when it comes to the devil, right? The adversary, Satan, as, as Paul refers to him and as Jesus referred to him, the adversary, the, the, the enemy, Satan is what they call him. I think because we have such a difficult time 
understanding like what all is going on there that that we can go to the other extreme where it's like we don't need to worry about it like everything's fine we we don't have to be on guard we don't have to do anything super productive or proactive because you know it's it's it is what it is god has already won which is absolutely true uh but there is this maybe carelessness that we walk around with um if we're on the other end of of that spectrum if you will and so as with many things and i I just grow more and more comfortable with this the older i get that there is a tension (laughs) that word that i use all the time to describe so many things because i think we see a lot of tension in scripture so forgive me bear with me but i think this is another one of those examples where there is a lot of tension when it comes to this spiritual realm and this spiritual battle that we read about in places in the Bible. Uh, I think that, that when we read things like when Paul says and talks about the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms, I think we read that and we, we so badly want to understand what does that mean? Like what exactly does that mean? What does that look like in my life? How can I recognize this in my life? I mean, Paul doesn't exactly give us a ton of details. He doesn't get into any kind of specifics. It's all kind of... Uh, It seems a little vague, although I think maybe less so than what we might think, but we want to know exactly, right? Like, am I alone? There have been times in my life when I'm facing something, I'm like, is this Satan? Is this a test? Is, Is God testing me? Is this just a random coincidence that has no spiritual significance at all? Like, am I alone in that? I, I've sensed that at times where I just have trouble knowing or understanding, like, what is this? Is, is this the powers of the dark world, like, at work, in my life? What? It's so difficult, right? It can be really difficult to grasp, to understand, to really kind of sit with as we think about what is Paul saying, And so this is just kind of a little disclaimer that I want to get out there because I want to acknowledge I struggle with this. I'm sure that others do too. Um, But I just want to put it out there that I think at times what I'm guilty of is trying to focus on all of the things that aren't said. And I'm, I'm preoccupied at times reading scripture, and all I want to know are the things that I don't have the answers to, right? And it trips me up, and it keeps me from moving forward because I'm stuck on all the details that I'm not given and all the things about, like, spiritual warfare that I don't understand or that I'm not reading about. And so this week, I felt challenged to name that because I think it's just what we deal with sometimes, what we struggle with sometimes, but also to focus, I felt a strong sense to focus on what we do know, on what Paul is saying, and not read too much into what's, what he's not saying, but to focus on what we do know. And here's what we do know, based on what Paul says here and just you know what we see throughout Scripture, what we do know is that there is this spiritual struggle, this tension, if you will, in an unseen world, in an unseen realm. It exists, right? If we reject that, then then there's a lot of things that we're going to have to answer. There's a lot of other questions that need to be answered because 
This is the reality that even though we can't see it, it's happening. There is a spiritual struggle. And, and I would say even more so in the light of, of the coming of the kingdom of God, when Jesus comes and, and as we see Jesus and all that he is setting out to accomplish for us, this seems to ramp up a little bit that in light of the breaking in of the kingdom of God, there is a tension, there is a battle taking place. And I'm reminded, I thought a lot about Jesus in the wilderness, because that to me is one of the most obvious examples that come to mind, that Jesus himself, God incarnate, God in the flesh, is in the wilderness and is being challenged by Satan, right? He is being challenged by Satan. Satan is in his midst, luring him with some kind of power and authority that he apparently has in some way. Right? So that right there tells us something that we should know and recognize is that, that if it happened to Jesus, we can feel confident that this same spiritual battle, this struggle is going to take place in our lives at some point, right? And again, and so I, I think about that. I think about like when I'm reading in the book of Job, Job is, is complicated enough in itself, but, but there is this again we, we read that Satan comes and he's in the presence of God and there's this going back and forth from, from the earthly realm to the heavenly realm and it's this, again, this back and forth struggle, this tension. In Revelation, there is, again, a whole bag of, of stuff to tackle another time, but there is this tension, there is this struggle that's taking place between good and the kingdom of God and all that the kingdom of God is accomplishing, but there's this worldly, earthly struggle that's also taking place, and it's seen as all of these evil things are unfolding. And then I think that Jesus himself, to bring it back full circle, in the Lord's Prayer acknowledges the evil that is in our midst, that is lurking, and he tells us that we ought to pray about it in the Lord's Prayer right? We ought to acknowledge that the evil exists and we are praying for God to deliver us from evil. And it's that same word that Paul uses. And so there again, we acknowledge that there is this struggle, this tension between the evil forces and the heavenly ones. We find ourselves living in the middle of these two realities at this moment. And that's hard, right? Because Oh man, I love all that we sang today about God's truth, that God is all powerful, right? That, that the power of hell is forever defeated, right? We know greater is he who is within me than he who is in the world. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The gates of hell will not prevail. We know and declare and remember that God is all powerful, that he has already won and yet we're still in the middle of this, this struggle between knowing that truth and that is, that is the key, right? That is the key. We, we have to first find our place in that truth and that reality while also acknowledging that there is this struggle, that there is an adversary, an enemy that seeks to usurp the authority of God in our lives. And we find that tension taking place all around us. I did a lot, you guys are going to have to bear with me. I did a lot of leaning, some weeks I just lean heavier than others on commentators, on scholars who 
just help me to wrestle with this. They don't have it all figured out either, I know, but, but they help us to, to wrestle with some of these things. And there's this, this book called The Unseen Realm by Michael Reiser. And here's what he says in that book. He says, the lack of a clearly defined hierarchy leaves the possibility that there are competing agendas in the unseen world, even where there exists this common goal of opposition to Yahweh and his people. Right? So there is this hierarchy, there is this truth that God is all-powerful, that God is already one, that God is fighting, and, and he is enough, but that there is all of this evil in the unseen realm. There is this spiritual battle that we cannot ignore or deny, and we cannot pretend like it doesn't exist. And so all that to say that Paul is, is not wrong, obviously, when he talks about what is this spiritual battle. And I need us to, to really acknowledge that there is a spiritual battle. I think we have to acknowledge that and understand the ways that we see that manifest in our lives so that we know how to, how to fight as we're going to see Paul tells us to fight. We have to first acknowledge, like, we can't put our head in the sand and pretend like there is no, no struggle, no fight for, for our um, allegiance, if you will. Like there is a struggle happening. And it makes sense to me too, because if God is bringing about his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, and even though we know that one day that God is going to reign and there will be no evil in the world, like we know that that, that is the reality, but it makes sense that, that the enemy is not going to stop trying to, to overthrow or to usurp that authority and power from God. And so, of course, we're going to see that play out before us, especially, I think, in, in the lives of those who are working to help God's kingdom be recognized. The enemy doesn't want God's kingdom to be recognized. And so as we are working hard to, to help the world to see that the kingdom of God is here and now, and that Jesus loves you, and that Jesus is fighting for you, and that he is with you, of course the enemy is going to work to keep us from doing that. You see, it makes sense, even though there's so much that we don't understand. There is a very real battle going on. We shouldn't ignore that or or just kind of turned a blind eye to that reality, okay? So having said that, that's where I find what Paul says in this passage about how we fight, if you will, all the more interesting and, and probably at times challenging, which we're going to get to in a moment. But if we're in the midst of this crazy spiritual battle, right? Like it sounds pretty serious. I just spent a good deal of time like saying how serious this is and how we should acknowledge it. And so if there is this great spiritual battle taking place in our midst in the unseen realms, and it's so serious, I find it really interesting that Paul gives us the instruction to stand. That's the instruction we're given. Just stand, not just stand, but stand. That, that's what we do in the midst of this crazy spiritual battle that's taking place. You just spend all this time talking about how serious it is, how much is at stake, and how, by the way, how much this affects the church and the kingdom of God, the people who are working for the kingdom of God. And you're telling me that, that all we are to do is stand there? Almost like, are you going to stand for that? Are you going to let that, you're going to just stand there while all that's going on? 
Even in the midst of all this talk that Paul says, or this kind of this imagery that we're given of this military imagery, this military talk, this imagery of armor, we don't take that and fight. We don't take that and march. We are to take that and stand. That's it. You stand. But there's quite a difference between taking all that Paul is saying and fighting and marching and seeking to, to oppose by force, right? There's a difference between that and just standing. I keep saying just because it just feels like that's all we do. We just stand. But there's a difference. Do you notice that? And are you a little surprised by that? We're not instructed to march, attack, kill, but to stand. And, and you know that we have been leaning on, on one Christian author uh, Watchman Nee, who has really beautifully walked us through these different phases or, or um, invitations that Paul presents to us, and that is sit, walk, and stand. And we've talked a lot about the sitting and the walking, and obviously today we're focusing on the standing. And so Watchman Nee says this, he says, Christian experience begins with sitting and leads to walking but it does not end with these. Every Christian must also learn to stand. We must know how to sit with Christ in the heavenly places, and we must know how to walk worthy of him down here, but we also must also know how to stand before the foe. So we're talking about this, what it looks like to stand. I just wonder, are we in any way surprised that in the midst of this intense battle that this is what we're called to do, stand? It's a little surprising. It's a little interesting to me. But, but to Paul's readers, it, this would not have been such a foreign concept. And maybe it's not you, for you, it's just, maybe it's just me. I'm just like, that just feels really counterproductive to just stand there while there's this battle happening because I think that our instincts tell us to fight. Our instincts tell us to, to go for the jugular, right? But we're instructed to just to stand. But for Paul's audience, I think for Paul's original listeners, that perhaps this wouldn't have felt like such a foreign concept. Because in Paul's day, many Roman soldiers were instructed on the battleground to stand, that that was their role in the battle. Many were instructed to stand their ground, right? Don't retreat. Stand firm and stand strong right where you are. Do not move, stand. And as long as they obeyed, as long as these soldiers stood their ground together, not breaking, then they would become victorious over their enemies. What about the weapons, you might say? Because Paul talks about this armor, but some of it feels a little weapon-like, you know, sword, and, and some of it feels a little intense. Are there weapons involved? And, and I really appreciated how scholars note that even some of, of what Paul describes that could seem like they are weapons, they are weapons of defense, right? These are not weapons of offense. They are weapons of defense. And so I love and I appreciate, I appreciate more and more how Paul works with the language and the imagery of his day that his readers will understand and kind of like really become interested. Like, oh, this is interesting. Paul's kind of flipping something here. 
And he was doing that here, working with this language and this imagery to make a significant point. And one of those points is that the imagery here is not focused on warring or killing. And, and the reader, the listener, is not instructed to go into war and to fight and to kill. But instead, we are instructed to remain confident, stand confident in the one who is protecting us and giving us all we need to effectively stand as we stand in this battle. It's so interesting to me. And a lot of times when we are reading this passage, there is a lot of emphasis put on like the actual pieces of armor. Like I did, I'm just, spoiler alert, like I didn't go Googling the pieces of armor and put them up here for you. I feel like we grew up with that and we, we get it, okay? We get it. <laughs> we could sing the song. How many of you can sing the song? I am a Christian, right? Woo, it's been a minute since I sang that, so that's as far as I'm going to go, but we get it. We, we sang the song in children's church. We've colored the pieces of armor our entire lives. Like, we get it. And I'm not saying it's not important, but I think that's been drilled into us. And so I wanted to just quickly go through and focus on what each piece of the armor represents for the one who is instructed to stand in the midst of this spiritual battle. And so Paul goes through this list of, of these pieces of armor that we have. And Paul is reminding us that we are armed and protected with truth. Paul has spent, if you haven't been listening, I'll just give you the, the answer. Paul has spent the entire book of Ephesians talking in some way or another about the truth that we have in Christ. Right? Paul has spent a significant deal of time declaring the truth and, and what the truth of Christ looks like for us in our lives. I think Paul is recalling for his listeners, remember what I've said, that you are redeemed. Remember the redemption story of Christ's work. Paul is perhaps reminding his listeners of what he said back in chapter one, that you were included in Christ when you heard this message of truth. Right? Christ has chosen you. Christ has blessed you and seated you in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. He has lavished upon you grace and mercy and love, and you are made alive in Christ. You have been reconciled to Christ. You have been given the gift of community and relationship as you walk in Christ. So do not forget the truth that you walk in, the truth that you've been invited to walk in. And this is that truth. He goes on and says, it reminds them of, of the, that they are to take up righteousness, that part of this, this armor includes being armed with righteousness. We've heard a lot about righteousness. This is nothing new. This, none of this is new information for the Ephesians, and it shouldn't be for us. This fits right in with all that Paul, this is a, a beautifully constructed recap of everything that Paul has said that we've talked about throughout this series. Arm yourselves with righteousness, right? Remember that you are to take off the old self. Remember, take it off. Put on that which is Christ. Put on the new self, which was created to be like God, which is righteous, who is righteous and holy. And when we live in God's righteousness and holiness, when we live in the light as God is in the light, then fruit is going to be seen. 
fruit is going to be recognized. There will be fruits in our lives of goodness and righteousness and truth. There's going to be spiritual maturity. There's going to be spiritual growth so that we aren't tossed back and forth and we're not struggling every moment of every day, but we are armed with righteousness so that we can have what we need to stand firm when the battle gets tough. Arm yourselves. In essentially what Paul is saying, have your feet fit with readiness. This one's a little tricky, which comes from the gospel of peace. There, there's a lot going on in that one. But I was really challenged this week that, that in stark contrast to this talk and this imagery, this language of battling and warring, and that reminds us of, of killing and violence, like all these things, that in stark contrast to that is peace. I find it so interesting that peace is included here because the peace of Christ feels like, let's just be really honest, feels at times ineffective. And peace is not accomplishing for our enemies what we want to see accomplished at times. That's, that's what we're tempted to believe, I think. That sometimes peace is just not strong enough. Peace is not aggressive enough. But Paul says that we are to arm ourselves essentially with the gospel of peace. It's this reminder that Christ and Christ alone and all that he has accomplished is our peace and it's enough. And I don't care how many people try to convince me that the peace of Christ is not uh, forceful enough or not effective enough. It's the peace of Christ, which is enough to defend me, to defend us against any evil and lies and temptations to label others as our enemy when we know who the real enemy is. His gospel is peace. I am excited to sing those words during the season of Advent. His gospel is peace. It's a peace that comes from God that unifies all of us. It binds us together, friends. Peace is important. It binds us together. We, we are unified together in the peace of Christ. We should not underestimate the peace that comes from Christ, which does truly surpass all that we can understand or comprehend. Moving on, armor yourselves with faith. I wonder if this refers both to God's faith and ours, because there's a beautiful dynamic and relationship here, right? Like we can remain faithful and we can, our faith can remain in the capable hands of God because God is faithful, we're not standing in the battle shaking and, and terrified. Where is God? Is he going to come through? Is he going to leave me standing here? That, there's no room for that, even though I know we struggle and we, we think those things sometimes. But what Paul is saying is there's no room for that because God has always been faithful. God is always going to be faithful. And God has already conquered and won. And you can stand strong in faith knowing that even though the devil, and, and Paul uses this really vivid imagery here of these flaming arrows. Like, yes, those may be thrown at you, but God's faith is enough to protect you from all that the enemy wants to maybe help cause you to try to forget. God is not absent. God is not idle. God is present and he is here and he is fighting. And we can, as we sing, fight on our knees if we have to, because God in, in, is enough to stand and fight for us, and we can trust in his faithfulness. We can remain in his faithfulness because he is faithful. And the enemy, I think, I think the enemy wants us to quickly forget how faithful God is. 
because it's just really too easy sometimes to forget how faithful and good God is. Don't forget how good and faithful God is. Paul moves on, arm yourselves with salvation. I read a lot about salvation being another way of of saying deliverance, right? We have already been saved. We, We have been saved and he is doing the work of saving us. We are already seated with Christ. He has already accomplished the work. He has accomplished our salvation. He has done the saving and we don't need to work to save ourselves. That's why in the midst of of talk of warring and battle and oh, it's so serious and yet you just stand there. We can stand there because God has already saved us. We don't have to fight to save ourselves. God has saved us. And finally, surely it's, it's significant that this is last because it's the most important that the Spirit is the source of all of, of the power that is available to us. We can't do any of this without the ever-moving, ever-working, ever-flowing presence of the Holy Spirit that is giving us the strength to stand as we've been instructed to stand. And the moment that we try to accomplish any of this on our own, we fail and we fall because it's the same spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead who is in us, who is helping us to stand, who is fighting for us and who makes it possible to stand. We cannot forget that. And so you might read all of that. And again, none of that's new information for most, if not all of us. But I think where it breaks down is that we read that and we think, that's great. You know, that's all really great and and that was really powerful, but it just doesn't feel very practical, tangible. I can't touch and hold faith. I can't touch and hold and feel and see the the inner workings of righteousness. It really frustrates me. I, I want a simple, do this and this will happen. And that's not what we have here. And I really appreciate, man, I have grown to really appreciate Eugene Peterson's relatable uh, musings when it comes to different things in scripture, particularly Ephesians. And I love how he just names this. He names this and he says, at the end of the day, when we look back, we can't see the weapons of truth and righteousness and peace and faith and salvation and the word of God. It seems to be made a particle of difference, if that. That's just how it feels sometimes, right? Like We can be honest that sometimes it's just like, but Lord, I can't see that and I can't touch it. I can't feel it. And it just makes me question and wonder how real it is and how effective it is. And we grow impatient. And I think that's part of the enemy's tactic is to, to, to tempt us to be impatient. I am a very impatient person when it comes to a lot of things, I will confess to you. And, and I like to see progress. I, I like to see the results. And when I don't see it, it's really difficult to be patient and to wait faithfully. And when we grow impatient, I think this is where we see a lot of, of issues that we have within ourselves and maybe within the church and even within the world. When we grow impatient with, with how slowly some of these things move sometimes, we are much more likely to pick up our own weapon of choice, right? The, my, my own weapon of choice 
It is going to get the job done quicker and more effectively, and I can see it right now. It's going to be taken care of right here, right now. And so we're tempted to pick up our own weapons when we have been instructed to stand firmly with the, the, the armory, the weapons that we have been given already. We don't need to take up our own. We don't need to take up weapons of propaganda or money or violence or whatever. Insert chosen weapon here. The kingdom of God is enough. The kingdom of God is enough to accomplish all that, that we want to see accomplished. And we don't have to feel, even though I know we wrestle with it, we don't have to feel this urgency or this temptation to take things into our own hands because God is accomplishing it. And so rather than trying to fight a battle, we try to fight the battle, let's be honest, right? Rather than trying to fight a battle that's already been won, we are called to stand and maintain the truth, righteousness, peace, faith, deliverance of Christ, all through the power of the Holy Spirit who is with us. That is what you are to do. That's the practical point for you that, that I need you to, to hold on to today. Standing is enough to help us to stand steadfast in the midst of the trials and the temptations that come our way. I'll end with a few quotes from scholar Lynn Kohick. Uh, she's also been really helpful as I've wrestled with some of these things uh, from Ephesians. And she says this, she says, so we're going back to kind of the soldier or like, you know, what Paul might have in mind for his listeners. And she says this, she says, a soldier demonstrated or demonstrates his loyalty by obeying their commands and executing orders quickly and remaining steadfast without fear in the midst of battle. In contrast, a mercenary is in it for himself and all the plunder he can acquire. He abandons his fellow soldiers if the going gets rough and he runs when the battle turns against his side. And that made me wonder... How tempting is it to abandon our fellow soldiers, each other, when the going gets tough? It feels really tempting and, and easy to just abandon when it gets tough. I got this, right? I got this. I don't need others. We don't need others. We got this. Things are not going the way I would do, the way I would hope, and, and things are not being accomplished the way I would accomplish them. And so when the going gets rough, it's really tempting and easy to abandon each other, our fellow soldiers, if you will. I don't love the, the imagery, but it, that's what we're given. And I think this is a good time to remind you, to remind all of us that Paul is not speaking to individual Christians. There is no imagination. Remember, I said that a few weeks ago. There is no imagination for any of what Paul is saying to be received by an individual alone. Paul is speaking to an entire community of believers. Paul is speaking to a people, not a person. And Paul does not have an imagination for a person hearing this and individualizing it for themselves. But Paul only has in mind a group, a community of people receiving this word and standing firm in this word together and only together. 
right? And so as this is very faithful to Paul that all throughout this letter, we've read when we walk, start with being seated. When we sit, we sit together. When we walk, we are instructed to walk together. And even now being instructed to stand, there is no imagination of one standing alone. You stand together. And we are patient with each other as we stand together. And we are loving and gracious and merciful as we stand together, even though the one that we're standing next to is really making it difficult. And I just want to leave and go stand by myself because it would be much easier, right? And I love how Lynn Kohick again says this. This is so helpful. We're almost there. She says, Paul knows the situation is ripe for self-deception and self-justification and self-rationalization, for fear, despondency, and all of this. But truth and righteousness and faith, the gospel of redemption and peace, these form the story of Christ's work that should excite the holy imagination, the possibilities of service to the kingdom of Christ and of God And believers are to know this story, what righteousness looks like in action, what truth looks like in everyday expressions. And Paul's dynamic imagery of armor moves away from thinking about this journey as individualistic, and it focuses on uh, focusing on self-improvement and and techniques for the individual. But instead, see why it's not on the screen because it's really long. (laughs) Instead, What Paul's saying encourages believers to think about living holy lives together in the midst of storms and chaos and confusion and intrigue. And I just have to wonder sometimes if maybe that old phrase, divide and conquer, is his greatest, strongest tactic. I don't know that I've ever spent a lot of time thinking about that phrase. I know what that phrase means. I've said it. We've heard it. But I I really sat and thought about that this week, this phrase of this idea of dividing and conquering. Like, that is so much easier. If the enemy is dividing us and and we are a lot weaker and, and more vulnerable on our own, why wouldn't he do everything in his power, as we said last week, to divide us? Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. There it is. <laughs> I was like, what is the second part of this phrase? <laughs> it's all hanging in the balance. <laughs> what is the second part of this phrase? <laughs> it's easy though, right? If we are not together, that makes so much sense to me. Divide and conquer. And so I hope that we hear that as a challenge today. That in the midst of all that Paul is saying, which this is all really important stuff, this this instruction to stand and to take on this kind of armor, this armor that is not about fighting and warring and killing, but it's about standing in the truth and the power of what God has already accomplished. This is meant to be heard together. This is meant to be lived out moment by moment, day by day, together in community with each other. And so here's where I'm going to get practical. I'm going to invite the praise team to come. Here's where we can get really practical. How do we do that? Just a few little things that I want you to take away as you think about living this out with, with each other, with the people who are in this room and who are part of us and those who aren't even. I want us to remember that our enemy is not 
flesh and blood. That we are not each other's enemy. I want us to remember that they, the outsiders, them, whoever they are, they are not the enemy. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. Paul names who our enemy is. It's, it's he who is opposed to God, Satan, the adversary, and, and, and all that that implies. That is our enemy. And so we don't have to fight or war against each other or anyone else because we are not the enemy. I, I, I absolutely believe that Paul has in mind here that he's recalling, remember, it's no longer Jew or Gentile. It's Jew and Gentile. Remember, it's no longer husband over wife or wife over husband. It's husband and wife. It's slave and master, right? There is no slave or free. We are all one together. And so let us not be be divided and, and seeing each other as the enemy because there is one enemy and it's not flesh and blood. And I think another way that we can live this out, that we can stand united, stand together is Let's look for ways to encourage and build up. I think that we are all needing that. We all need to be encouraged. We all need to be built up. That doesn't mean that we don't say hard things or have hard conversations, especially if, if something has been done that is hurtful and that there needs to be restoration, right? Like That's not what that means. But instead of taking easy jabs and tearing down and, and, and negatively kind of just being pessimists with one another, let's look for ways to build each other up and to strengthen and encourage so that when we're standing together, we're all standing strong. And as Paul says, we cannot underestimate this, we ought to keep on praying for one another. When all else fails, because we're only going to do so much. When all else fails, in fact, start with this, right? Pray for one another. Pray for strength to to stand alongside one another. And so I say again, rather than trying to fight a battle that's already been won, we are called to stand and to stand together and maintain this truth, this righteousness, this peace, this faith, the deliverance of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit who is with us. And I don't know who needs to hear this today, but you need to stop trying to fight this battle alone. Stop trying to do this on your own. Right now, I want you to get rid of the lie that that you don't need others, that, that you just need to keep it private and quiet and to yourself. Stop trying to fight this battle alone. And so if you have to, as we close with this time of prayer and reflection and praise, if you have to grab somebody, you know, kindly, if you have to to go up to somebody and put yourself out there and say, will you pray with me? Will you stand with me as I sing this song? Then I want you to feel free to do that. And we're all going to receive that with nothing but joy and gladness as we seek to stand together. Amen. Amen. May God help us. Amen. You can stand with us as we prepare our hearts for communion. What a beautiful reminder, um, beautiful that this sermon landed on the first Sunday as we come to take communion. And just a beautiful reminder that the way that Jesus actually not just fought but defeated the kingdom of darkness was by giving himself up. And this cross is a beautiful 
reminder of the way that Jesus chose to fight. And to us, it doesn't look like fighting. To the disciples, it didn't look like fighting either, and they thought it was over. But that is actually how he won. And we follow in his footsteps. Amen. Let's sing this uh, together um, in one voice as we unite and conquer. seated as we transition into this time of, of communion, of 
coming together, and I, I agree, this fell uh, so beautifully on Communion Sunday where we remember what Christ has done for us, and we, we are thankful, we express our gratitude for all that Christ has accomplished, and it was through his death, through his humble death, that, that we found life and freedom, even today, even now. And there's something so beautiful about coming to the table. That's how we, that's a metaphorical way of, of talking about communion is that we are gathering about around the table that Jesus on the night he was betrayed gathered with his betrayer and friends, right? And, and so there is this sense in which gathering together around the table to receive more of Christ is part of what life together looks like. And so I do, as always, want to remind you to approach this time with, with reverence and with appreciation of all that Christ has done. Use this time to open your heart and to, to be open to the way that Christ seeks to fill you. And in a moment, you will be dismissed row by row to come and to receive your elements, hold on to them, and we will all receive them together. And we do uh, just want to make sure you know that we have the gluten-free options available as well. And so if you would let us know that you need those, uh, we have those up here that have been carefully prepared, prepared for you. And so at this time, I'm going to ask that anyone who needs me to come and to serve, if you would raise your hand and I will come and serve you at this time. God, we gather here at this table with hearts of gratitude. God, we thank you for these gifts. Lord Jesus, these gifts of grace that we can touch and hold and feel and taste. May this bread and this cup be enough to nourish and strengthen us once again as you fill us with more of you. May it be to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. On the night that our Lord was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat. This is my body, which has been broken for you. So today you are invited to take and eat and be grateful. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he gave it to them and he said, this cup is the blood of the new covenant that has been given for the forgiveness of sins. May you take it and drink and may it preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. So friends, take, drink, and be grateful. I want to invite you to stand as we sing this doxology together. May you go in the grace and peace of our Lord who goes with you and gives you the strength to stand, stand together, go in his grace. You are dismissed. <laughs>